Hello and welcome to the Happy Healthy Strong podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to helping you live a happier, healthier, and stronger life. Building a life that you love starts with you owning your health and intentionally creating the best version of yourself. So if you're looking to better understand how proper nutrition, daily movement, mindset work, and strength training can help you create a life full of happiness and health, then you are in the right place. I genuinely hope the tips, tricks, and information we share will be your catalyst for change. I'm your host, Lauren Heiser. It's time to dive in. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Happy Healthy Strong Podcast. Lauren is out of town today, so you're stuck with me um, interviewing Mr. Stu Brower of Urban Movement out in Charlotte, North Carolina. Stu, thanks for taking the time. Adam, man, it's always good to catch up with you, buddy. I'm excited for this. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Stu, this is, this is fun. Stu, you, you wear many hats. You do many things. And sometimes people forget that you know a little bit about fitness and truly what, what's going to keep people happy, healthy, and strong. Yeah. Do you, give people some background on, on, on who you are, what you've done, and, um, and really why you're such a big deal. Sure. So, uh, yeah, my quick spiel, guys. Uh, so uh, 15 years old, redheaded kid, for anyone watching the video at home, um, you know, trying to make varsity lacrosse and, and, and get laid in high school and <laughs> an all boys high school. Tough gig at 145 pounds soaking wet. So I went ahead. I, I became a student of strength and conditioning, everything, Melsif, Poliquin, Ripito, everything that took me to college where I got my degree in exercise physiology. And then while I was there, I picked up a hot stock tip called CrossFit about 2005, 2006. Six, I ran with that. Um, I, I went and worked at a couple of CrossFit gyms. I dived deep into that into the early 2000s, and I realized I didn't have the business part figured out. I, I'd become a very competent coach. I've been doing this since I was 15, but I didn't know business. So I went and sold my soul. I went to Globo Gym. Went to work for a big Globo Gym company in Nashville, Tennessee, and then in Charlotte, North Carolina. I learned the ins and outs of business. Then I opened up my own uh, in 2011. I started my own brick and mortar, uh, grew that, um, and then did really well with that. Started a consulting uh, firm and a, a media handle. Um, it's how I know Adam through WTF Gym Talk, where I create content for micro gym owners so they can hopefully run a successful business. And um, and then, yeah, that's kind of taken me. And then just here in 2021, I, I, I announced my retirement from the micro gym industry. And so I'm, I'm still involved. I still, I still do consulting. I'll still be working with gym owners. But you're right. I, I don't often get us on the <laughs> podcast to talk about fitness. It's generally, you know, margins and operational capacity mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff. So I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah. So you, so for people that don't know, uh, CrossFit South End. Yeah. So I guess that's ended? an important part for this yeah. context. Yeah, you're right. So I own CrossFit South End. Uh, we did, we had this CrossFit gym. It was great. And I was an 06 CrossFit guy, right? So this is like, you know, old school, yeah. that kind of thing. Early on. But around, around 2014, I was looking around and I didn't like what my gym had become. I'm, uh, I opened up the gym and I had to tell people about CrossFit. People like, I just heard there's cool workouts in this building. And I'm like, CrossFit this, CrossFit that, blah. And I was just preaching the Greg Glassman Bible. Mm -hmm. I was a, I was a disciple, but then in around 2014, you know, the Reebok deal had happened. The mm -hmm. games had been a big deal for a few years. CrossFit was at the peak of its, you know, Google search and its popularity. And I, uh, I started seeing, I had men and women, moms and dads, young and old people coming in who just wanted to get fit. And then somehow, and it's definitely my fault. They got sucked into this CrossFit ecosystem where they now thought they were participating in the sport of fitness. They no longer were there for a GPP, general physical preparation program. And so, I mean, I'd have a, I'd have a young girl, 24 years old, crying on a Friday night because we're doing the CrossFit Open and she didn't perform well enough. And I, I put my arm around her. I'm like, you're a banker. You work <laughs> nine to five. Like, you have an amazing job. You're a young, beautiful girl. Like, you have the world at your 
and you're upset because some girl in Indiana beat you in 13.2 and you're like, it's going to ruin your week. That's when I instantly was like, I have to do something to curb this. And being a geek, I am a, I am a strength conditioning geek. I love nerding out and reading. Um, I saw CrossFit's biggest flaw, the speed of the movements. Hmm. There's nothing wrong with kipping. But there's something wrong when everybody kips to go faster for the point of going faster and they haven't developed the ability to do strict. There's nothing wrong with touch and go deadlifts or touch and go anything with a barbell. Mm-hmm. But there, I do believe there's something wrong when you never pair it and equal it out with con- eccentric, concentric, you know, partial, like other elements of what, what we eventually called it. It's not like I named this. This is what is tempo training. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the, the godfathers of tempo, you're talking Ian King out of Australia and Charles Poliquin, you know, they really, if you look, get, dig into the textbooks, kids, those are the guys that really wrote the book on tempo. And um, so that's where the way we went. And I, I evolved my model. I rebranded it. I got rid of CrossFit and I brought in what uh, is known now as tempo training in a group fitness setting. And, um, and yeah, that's kind of, I think that's kind of led us to the conversations you and me have had a yeah. lot. Yeah. And so th- then, and You've had some interesting last couple months here, but then the urban movement was born with with the idea of can I say the theme is tempo training the the the, the scientific backing is that of tempo training yeah the unique belief in fitness so when I was a CrossFit gym my unique belief in fitness was already given to me mm-hmm. Greg Glassman who I still think is one of the is going to be one of the godfathers like Jack Lalane of the fitness industry yeah. I truly believe that regardless of how he, you know the tarnish and the tweets and all that stuff but um, I, I truly believe that you know they their prescription I was running with work capacity across broad time and modal domains okay that was the prescription I was given um, move large loads, long distances and do it quickly. Mm-hmm. I would, that's the one I ran with it. It wasn't mine. I didn't create it. I wanted to create my own. Yeah. So we created tempo training. So I took an element of strength and conditioning, just one tempo, yeah. and we created our own protocol for it. We created three different kinds of workouts in our classes, sprints, builds, and grinds, mm-hmm. specific tempos for specific type of workouts yeah. in specific patterns. And we had our own re- rhymes and reasons for it. So I didn't create new science. I just, you know, zeroed, zeroed in and narrowed in on one element of science. And I interpreted it in a unique way that I hadn't seen other people do in a group setting. Yeah. So for somebody that doesn't ex- understand what tempo training is, what's, sure. what, what the non-scientific definition? Non-scientific. We tell you exactly how long to lift the weight. So in any kind of resistance training or body weight type resistance training, we will dictate the tempo. So for example, uh, my gym, we had urban movement, had a great workout today. And one of the movements was a push press. Maybe your, your listeners are familiar with a push press and the tempo was a three second hold overhead and a four second descent back to the shoulder. So what I've done there is I've, I've created each rep is at least now at a minimum seven seconds, three seconds overhead, four seconds down. All right. Even if you fire it back up there, you know, we're looking at about seven seconds a rep and that tempo has to be maintained the entire workout. If you're not doing the tempo coach is going to come up and say, Hey, what's up? (laughs) Do you have a hard time counting or is the weight too heavy or whatever, whatever Mm -hmm. it may be. And we will adjust it because tempo for us, the reason it's so important. And maybe we, I'm not sure if this is part you want to get into it with it for us. I don't care how much you lift. I don't give a crap. And even if you look at bumper plates, bumper plates are designed for you to not really care Go to the regular gym, 
45s are really big. Yeah. Everything else is really tiny. There is an ego element to slapping 45s in. Bumper plates kind of change that game. Yeah. Everything has the same diameter. Yes, there's a thickness differential, but at the end of the day, we've all like looked at someone lifting with bumper plates at a certain angle. We can't really tell what's on the bar. Yeah. That's done intentionally, in my opinion, especially in the collegiate strength and conditioning. If you actually read into this, that was done so that, you know, division one football guys wouldn't get ego driven and get hurt in the weight room. They wanted, and there's some centrifugal force and there's some math and physics to the actual Olympic weightlifting with having everything the same size. Absolutely. But if you talk to collegiate coaches or people like, you know, I'm with the athletes, it mm-hmm. makes it a lot easier if you have all black plates and they all essentially the same diameter. Mm-hmm. And now there's not as much ego and yeah. there's still a little bit, but um, yeah. So we, you know, we really wanted to take the ego out and force people to maybe lift lighter because I don't care how much you lift. I care how you lifted it. Um and also, you know, from an intimidation standpoint, you know, I'm a, I'm a business guy. I wanted new members when they came in not to be scared of that barbell going up and down as fast as possible and looking out into a sea of experienced members wielding barbells and be like, I can't do that. But imagine now you come into my gym and you see we're doing, let's say it's back squats or front, whatever kind of squat. And you're seeing everyone go down in five seconds, hold for three and come up in three. So we're talking literally a nine second tempo. I'm sorry, an 11 second tempo down in five, hold for three up in three. It looks like I'm running an army, right? Like it just like, they're like marching it with the beat of my, my Mm -hmm. metronome. And, um, our, our clients got fitter. They got stronger, no injuries. I mean, the antithesis of injury, we had people structurally and mechanically stronger in certain positions, overhead positions, pulling positions, uh, squatting and single leg positions because of tempo. Like next time you're doing lunges with a barbell kids, do a lunge and then stop a millimeter before your kneecap touches the floor and hold it for three seconds and then stand back, bringing the feet back together and then step back again, pause at the bottom, kneecap, barely touching the ground, hold for three. You want to talk about some core lock and some isolation work for your hips and glutes, finding some balance, which is such an element of fitness. We don't really touch too often yep. is balance. And there's so many great things to do with tempo, but yep. yeah, that's essentially uh, what we did. Yeah. Well, when, when I came out to your place back in 2019 at the self-made summit, um, I jumped in one of these classes and I, I think I hit 115 for whatever the front squat tempo of the day was. And I, I, I can squat, I can front squat more than 115. Um, you know, I am getting older, but I could still one squat front squat more than 115, but it was some type of four seconds down. Some, I want to say it was a four second pause, four seconds coming up and the coming up slowly might have oh. been the worst burn I've ever, like you just, usually you just come up, but to come up in that controlled manner, holy buckets. You and me both know this uh, in the jargons term of SSCs, the stretch shortening cycle, mm-hmm. right? So anyone who's doing this, if you've ever done like a wall ball or squat where you, you squat and you kind of bounce out of the hole, yep. right? You drop down, you bounce out and there's this, you know, kind of rubber band effect. Well, tempo, especially if you prescribe it in the pause at the, the bottom of the eccentric, it takes all that out of there. And yep. if you are heinous enough, like we are to add tempo to your concentric, yeah, now coming out of the squat or pressing the barbell overhead or squeezing the barbell up for a curl. Now you're talking some serious cool things. And then there's also really neat manipulations. Uh, we really like um, concentric tempo. So for everyone listening, concentric would be essentially when you're contracting the muscle. So think about curling a dumbbell up to the shoulder or pressing the barbell overhead um, or standing out of the squat. Okay. That would be the concentric, okay. Contraction. Um, and we want to go ahead then guys. And what we're thinking is where else can we manipulate it? So we might have you contract for four seconds, but you're going to pause at the two second mark. 
for Ooh. a couple seconds. So now you're kind of do like partials, like bodybuilders yeah. are called partials. And, um, and yeah, there's so many cool things you could do with it. And as long as you're okay with not going super fast, like I always, I was a part of that crew. Maybe you were too, Adam, yeah. where people mm-hmm. back in the day, I'd be like, what do you do? Uh, what do you do for strength? I'm like, I lift weights. And you're like, what do you do for cardio? I'm like mm-hmm. I lift weights faster. Yeah. Like that was my answer in this like early adopter CrossFit kind of world. I would say that with pride because mm-hmm. previously cardio was running on a treadmill or being on the elliptical machine. Yeah. Well, now I could get cardio from doing 30 clean and jerks as fast as possible. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. They're like, it's great to also have a tempo of what we'd call X, like as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. There is explode like hundred percent. Not everything has to be slow, but I've been doing CrossFit since 2006. I didn't really start dialing in tempo until maybe 2015, 2016. Yeah. So, I mean, I have years to catch up of evening myself out as an athlete, as a recreational fitnesser. Mm-hmm. What talk about, so we, we coach a lot of very regular people, people in their, their, their thirties, forties, fifties, who, again, who the, the banker, um, <laughs> the, yeah. the, the, those people, the, 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 the teacher, the insurance guy, um, in, in the way of results, because again, you, you go straight old school CrossFit. You know, I, I know like we were back in 2012 and stuff like that. Um, you know, ripping barbells from the ground and you know, let them air mail from from seven feet off the ground, eight feet off the ground. Um, same thing with dumbbells, etc. Um, morphing into this much more controlled, s- still challenging. You're still sweating because obviously with with Urban, you you guys throw in a lot of uses of the the ergs, the rowers, the bikes, the ski ergs, etc. Um, I mean, there's there is obviously a, a cardio piece to this but if you're looking at bottom line finish line results if you're going to compare somebody from CrossFit South End back in the day to somebody urban movement now in the way of their journey and and the results they're getting what what similarities are there what differences are there oh I got that I got this is such a perfect answer um I had a ex-CrossFit South End member who left my gym when I rebranded to urban movement and I installed tempo training, they were, they were a CrossFit customer. They wanted CrossFit when I no longer offered it, we parted ways, but on very good terms, that individual came back and did a week worth of workouts. Cause there was a, a little bit of a waterline break at their gym. So he does a week worth of workouts and he's talking to another member who they both joined the same time in 2014, but one stayed with me and did tempo training for the past four years. And the other left when it did CrossFit. And they're both 20, maybe at the time when they joined 26. So now they're probably like 33, 32, something like that. And we had this conversation. The one guy was such a good sport about it. He's like, I'm not going to lie. I go to physical therapy. This is the CrossFit guy. (laughs) I go to physical therapy once a month and I go to my Cairo every three weeks. And I still can do like 30 unbroken butterfly pull-ups, but for whatever reason, that doesn't really do it for me anymore. Mm. But I saw Kyle, the other guy that stayed with me. I just watched him rip off 13 tempoed pull-ups with a three-second holdover, chin over the bar, and a three-second descent. And oh my God, I would so much rather do that. And then Kyle comes in the conversation. He goes, yeah. He's like, guess what? I haven't had to see a physical therapist or Cairo since we stopped doing CrossFit. Not once. And you look at the physicality of both. My guy, tempo training, I mean, he's got bolder shoulders. This guy's very well-defined because in CrossFit, in any model in which your goal is to go fast for sport-like competition, that's what you have to do. Kyle, my guy, the tempo training guy, he would get crushed in a CrossFit competition, but he doesn't care. He cares about how he looks with his shirt off and how his body feels. That's all he cares about. And if that's the prescription, I truly believe baking tempo training into your 
strength and conditioning, like you said, like hit your burpees fast, hit your slam balls hard, get that erg. I mean, hit it hard, hit your double unders. I mean, there's plenty of movements that are still baked into our program that are speed based, Mm -hmm. but not the resistance training once as much. Yeah. Yeah. And talk to the, the part of, because the injury piece you just, you just brought up there. Um, and, and, Sometimes random things happen. Sometimes it's the coach's fault. Sometimes it's not the coach's fault. Sometimes it's the programming. There are all all, all sorts of things. Um, talked about the, the the injuries or, or changes or lack thereof that you that yeah. you saw through the change. So the great thing about CrossFit is it did expose so many people, the most amount of people ever, to this level of functional fitness, the involvement of powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting, all that. So what we end up having is we start having people now transferring barbells and dumbbells through multiple different planes than they ever had before. Let's just talk about snatching, if that's one of the movements, right? Like you would never, ever, and anyone listening to this as a client of yours, did you ever grab a barbell as wide as you do with a snatch until you went into Adam's gym and learned how to snatch a barbell? You never gripped anything that wide before in your life. You never had, you probably gripped it here. And and for those of you guys just listening to us, I've got my hands probably right about shoulder width, right? That's where you benched from. That's where you pressed from. You held it on for a back squat, but you never went that wide. Okay. So now we're doing something new. Kudos CrossFit. That's awesome. But now I'm doing this internal external range of motion thing at a speed that I've never done. And I'm now doing it with weight. I mean, like I've got a lot of buddies that are orthopedic surgeons and they love those. They love CrossFit for those rotator cuff surgeries. I mean, it's keeping them in business. So the thing about uh, CrossFit and the speed of those workouts, you would hit positions so quickly. You can never develop structural strength in the hard positions. Everybody listening to home, let's play a little game. What is the hardest position in a pull-up? It's probably once you have the strength to get your chin over the bar, it's getting your chin over the bar. We all know that guy or girl. And if you're listening to this, it's okay. You're, you're on your way, but that pulls and they get it to about their nose. And then they like throw their head back to make the chin actually lift. They didn't actually pull the bar underneath their chin. They pulled the bar till about their nose. And then they flared their head back to get the chin over. So it counted for a rep. Well, maybe instead of hitting that and then coming back down really quick and doing kipping or butterfly pull-ups, why don't you spend some time getting one pull up and sitting there and doing max effort isometric holds, which is a huge part of our tempo training and develop strength in the hardest part of it. Let's use another movement. What's the hardest part of the squat kids. It's being in the bottom of the squat and coming up. And if you're not sure if that's the right answer, next time you're doing squats, let me ask you something. Are you trying to get out of the hole quickly? Are you, you cool to hang out there? I remember uh, there was a Eliza Muhammad easy. I don't know if you ever know that. Mm -hmm. He used to do these videos back in the days, like 2014, he would have 315 on the barbell and he had a box, like a plyo box in front of him that had food. He put it on his back and do, I kid you not, he would squat down and sit in the bottom of a squat with 315. And I'm not talking like he dumped off into lumbar curry, like into yeah. butt wing. After. He Ooh. sat tight in that squat, like nice, tight, hovering above a public toilet seat type tight. And he would reach with one hand. One hand's on the barbell, holding it on his back, and he would reach and he would eat food in front of the camera. And he would hold these 60-second tempoed squats, and he'd put his fork down or whatever, and he'd stand up with it. I remember being like, that's strength. Yeah. Any, yeah. Anyone can blow up a barbell and get it up real quick and drop the bar from overhead or squat the weight. But like, it was so quick. Like, did he, did he hit depth or not? Why are all on max out videos? Why does everyone have to look at, did he hit depth or not? Yeah. Because he does it so quick. 
He's trying, he hit the bottom. He's trying to get out as fast as possible. But if you could train tempo more and strengthen yourself in the bottom of the squat, you're not vulnerable to being in that very naturally vulnerable position. You're actually strong in that position. You're not trying to bounce out of the hole as often. So there's, there's a lot of benefits there. They're going to lead to less injuries better aesthetics. And ultimately you just move way better than everybody else. Cause you're strong structurally in all the different positions. Yeah. Stu, you nailed it there. That was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> any, cause yeah. I, I, well, I think, but, I think people don't understand or, or, they, or they, they miss the boat cause they, they're just trying to check the box. They're just trying to, okay, I'm going to get this done and okay. X amount of reps or X amount of this and to, to do and, and the, the less time I'm under the barbell, the, the, the better this is going to go for me. When in essence, the more time you're under the barbell, the harder it's going to be and the more return on your investment you're probably going to get. One acronym, we've been talking tempo eccentric, isometric. The one thing we haven't really leveled or talked about is what we call TUT, time under tension. Now, this can be a great metaphor for life. The more tension you're under in life and the more stress you, you experience in life, probably the more better you are to adapt at the next stressor that life throws at you. The same exists in the gym, kids. When you're thinking of getting stronger, you don't want to spend less time under the bar or with the chin over the bar or at the bottom of the push-up. You want to spend more time. Yeah. And again, in the sport of CrossFit, that's the opposite. You want to spend less. You want to go as fast as possible, but none of us are there. Yeah. What we're doing, whether you're listening to this and you do CrossFit or you're listening to this and you don't, you're doing this again. I'm assuming for aesthetics and to feel good about your body, things like that. You want to start focusing on spending more time. That's why, you know, one an interesting thing we did at Urban that got a lot of people to quit my gym. I mean, financially, it hit my pocketbook pretty bad. I wouldn't let people drop barbells from overhead. Now, number one, for everyone listening, we, we no longer maxed out. I got rid of maxing out in all variations, one, three, five, no longer. And the reason being is with tempo training, I no longer needed to because I had built it into the program to what I felt for GPP was enough strength training that didn't need a benchmark metric. Mm. Okay. So we get rid of maxing out. Now in a max out session, I get if you push jerk your max out weight and you want to drop it from overhead. That makes sense to me. Mm. Well, that's not the model for me, but so we get rid of it. But even in regular classes, people are like, why can't I, what, what's wrong? Why can't I drop it? Now, logistically, Adam and I will say, well, we're trying to create a good client experience. And if you ever listen to 30 plus people drop barbells at random intervals throughout an hour long class, it is very unnerving. And it's honestly makes for a shit client experience from a coaching perspective. It makes it very hard for us to coach people with that kind yeah. of racket going on. It just, I mean, that's just facts. Yeah. And but, I, I've seen barbells hit and we've gotten lucky, but hit and dance and holy right. cow, we, <laughs> Good thing Lori wasn't standing there. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's generally when those smaller denomination weights are on mm -hmm. the 10s and 15s, yep. they hit and they skip. So here's the thing. I uh, I remember one day, the day I decided to do this, we had a kid, he's strong, and he's doing uh, thrusters. So he's squatting and pressing overhead with 95 pounds. He had just done 30 of them unbroken. It was a rep set of 35. He drops it at the 35th rep from overhead. And he wasn't like a failure. Yeah. Very thick kid. Mm -hmm. I said, why did you drop the bar? He goes, well, I was done. I'm like, no, 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 homie. You weren't done. The bar started in the front rack. You squatted it. You pressed it overhead. You got to bring it back down. So I created a rule. Put the bar back from where you got it. Well, where does everyone get the bar typically? The floor. Yeah. So I made it so that you had to eccentrically control it back down. Now that upset a little a couple of people. So I started an experiment. I said, you know what? You know, and anyone who's watched that video or maybe just visualizing this at home and you're listening to us, take your hands and you just press the barbell overhead. Now slowly bring it back down to the shoulders. What movement does that mimic? 
it mimics a pull-up. Now, the pull-up is probably the most one of the most desirable fitness skills or strength elements. If we were to travel around the world, coast to coast, and say, hey, would you like a 500-pound deadlift? Hey, would you like to run a marathon? Hey, would you like to be able to do a pull-up? Which one do we think wins? Most people would love the ability to be able to do a pull-up. So I was able to coach my cohort and my membership and say, guys, we're lowering the barbells back to our shoulders. And number one, we're not dropping the barbells because the lift isn't done until it goes back to where you got it. But number two, I promise you, we're going to test out our pull-ups in eight weeks. And I promise all of you better, if not significantly improved, just by doing slow, steady, concentric, or eccentrics back to the shoulder. Mm-hmm. And sure as shit, man, everybody <laughs> tested out positively. Yeah. I mean, with the, and pull-ups, and I hadn't even been training them. So there's just some really good carryover with not dropping weights from overhead. And I do believe that became a bit of an ego thing in the CrossFit world. Yeah, I, I can't agree with you more. And you take a you take a workout like Grace, which is you know thirty clean and jerks for for time. And if you were to you know just three two one go it and and the rep be you know when it's locked out at the top versus what you're saying there in the way of you you have to control it down, um, all that good eccentric strength that you, that you get in the shoulders and back, you know lowering it you know back to the hip and then bending your knees, you know, and, and, you know, flexing the hips in which to get that barbell back down to the ground and then bringing it back up and going. Those are two very different workouts, uh, uh, you know, touch and go grace or, uh, you know, just, or controlled grace. Like those are two very different stimuluses that you would get from the workout. And I might argue that the better stimulus is going to be the one where everything is done under control and there's, there's no air mailing or, or dropping the barbell. I agree. I agree. And it's, um, you know, even in, I think it's a, is that APL, the American powerlifting league? Yeah. Mm-hmm. A rep doesn't count if you drop it at the top, you yeah. have to, you have to, mm-hmm. you have to at least have your hands on it to get back to the floor. Now, sometimes it's not the most controlled eccentric, but that, I mean, you see that in other sports. Uh, I dropped into a gym. It was called queen city cross. I believe is in Cincinnati, Ohio. I was visiting there for a wedding. They had a second floor. Well, on the second floor, if you were working out up there, you couldn't drop the bar. Makes sense. Yeah. Right. So they had like the pound pads and things like that. If anyone's not familiar, those are like these big, you know, kind of look like little mini, like nine inch thick plyo boxes, soft ones that you could drop the bars on. But, you know, they didn't have enough for everybody. So I get a bar and it's uh, it's 205 squat cleans. And um, so I have to squat clean it, stand it up, but I can't drop it off the shoulder like I'd love to. I had to, boom, get it back to my hip and nice and easy, do like an eccentric deadlift back to the mm-hmm. ground with it. And I'll tell you what, that was like one of those times where I had that come to Jesus moment. I was like, that extra eccentric worked my grip and my core so much more on instead of just standing up and dropping it off. And I'm like, I'm here to work out. Like I want to get the most bang for my buck. So I could do squat cleans and drop it off the shoulder and not get the added bonus of the core work and the grip work. Or I could just force myself to have longer time under tension and return it back to the floor under my own control. And I'll tell you this, I went to a CrossFit gym recently and I've been doing tempo training now for four years. Um, And I did their workout, but I told the coach specifically, I said, I will be going slow. I will not be going fast. I do tempo. This is it. Is there a problem here? And (laughs) I might've been a little overbearing. He's like, no, man, we're good. We're good. I'm like, cool. So I'm doing it. And these kids that I was doing, they're younger than me. I'm 30. I'll be 36 here at the end of December. They were younger than me. And they're having to drop this, you know, 115 pound barbell after all these reps. And I'm sitting there manhandling it. It gets over my head. It comes back to my shoulder. It's back down to like, you never let go of the bar. And I was like, tempo training, dude. Like if you train it, that you drop it every time you're done, 
then what, why would you be as strong as someone who always brings it, pulls it back under their own strength and valor? Yeah. Yeah. And this is, it's funny because this, this whole tempo training thing is, is not new. I've heard you say this numerous oh, times. Yeah. Power lifters or power lifters, bodybuilders have been using this for, for a really long time and just getting creative. Cause back in the day, they didn't have all the denominations of, of dumbbells and kettlebells and stuff that we had today. So like if, if steel was, you know, uh, you know, n- not all over the place, they, they would take something lighter and, you know, just, just do it longer. And that time under tension, the way of what it does for tendons and ligaments, um, again, going back to your point of, of keeping people healthy is, is such a big deal. And it's probably something that's going to get you to look better from a hypertrophy standpoint. And, well, you know, that's typically why people come to gyms. Yeah. Uh, Ian King, you know, really tested a lot of his polyquin backed it up that four seconds is like the bare minimum time under tension per rep, four seconds. So, you know, for anyone thinking of this, maybe it's like a think of a bench press where you're going to go up in one and two down in one and two, and you never pause at the top. You never pause at the bottom, but going down nice and slow prevents you from bouncing it off your chest, but that's a four second tempo. That's the slowest. I'm sorry, the fastest they wanted you to go. And again, it would be during different athletes during different times of the year for different reasons. But I mean, we started doing things like that. And anyone listening, here's some tidbits. Like if you think me and Adam are crazy, just try this out on your own sometime. You know, think about a pull-up workout you might do. Well, go ahead and let's say you're going to do, I'm going to do three sets of uh, max effort pull-ups. Let's just say that. Do a max effort set of pull-up and then give yourself about 15 to 30 seconds and then go and grab uh, a pair of dumbbells and do a bicep curl, but stop halfway and do an isometric hold at the halfway mark. Hold that for upwards of 15 to 20 seconds, set it down, give yourself another 15 to 30 rest and go back to your pull-ups. You will maybe perform 15 to 20% of the first set that you actually did before we fatigued you with that isometric hold, but train your biceps and the tendons around the elbow with that. Train your grip in a pull-up to do it thing when the biceps completely smoked and what you're going to find is aesthetically i promise you any of those body parts you're specifically targeting with lunges and glute raises and pull-ups and delt whatever you're doing shoulder presses i promise you aesthetically look better and i also promise you you will not be as injury prone as your sport chasing counterpart who's just trying to go as fast as shit because he saw it on espn in july one time in 2015 yeah well, I think it's funny. Even the you know the younger Adam has you know, gone through Olympic lifting cycles that you know Greg Everett wrote on his blog. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, give that a go. You know, I and had his original DVDs back in 2007. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and he's good. Greg Athletics, yeah. Oh, good. But you know, four weeks into a you know a 16 week cycle, like my elbows would just explode. Um, and, and and so much of that that gripping and the hook gripping and snatch clean, snatch clean, snatch clean. Like I obviously was not, and I didn't understand it as well as I do now, but I was not taking care of joints and ligaments and tendons the, the way I should have. And that was the limiting factor. Long story short is I didn't get everything out of that program that I could have because my body from, you know, just a, I guess a structural standpoint was not ready for that type of training. Um, and I also, also wasn't interjecting that into my workouts and it's, it's kind of like an eggs against the wall type of approach. Like if, if I was a bigger, better, more genetically gifted athlete, I might've been good, but because I'm just a normal human, yeah, it, it it lasted until it didn't, and then you know it, it didn't help advance my fitness at all. No, but you live and learn, and that's yeah. why you know your members at your facility they're they're lucky to have like an evolution of information. And, and the one thing I'd say to because I you know I'm a civilian now, I, I still have my gym for another couple <laughs> of weeks. But like I'm I've been going to other gyms and doing you know dropping in places. So I'm back to being a civilian, and it, it's so nice when you encounter coaches who realize that fitness is a number one. It's one of the youngest sciences we that exist 
today. Like it's been only studied for a very, very small amount of time um, at this level. Okay. And to find and have coaches and staff that are always seeking the better way to do things is incredible because yeah. there hasn't been this population and, and no offense, but guinea pigs. Yeah. Hasn't like fitness really only got popular, like really popular in like the seventies and then going on, like it wasn't something that you saw people do in the fifties and sixties to that degree. So now we have all these Guinea pigs, millions of Guinea pigs every day. And you have great coaches and staff, like what you have here at Oak and your people like, listen, we're finding a better way to do it. And we're going to let our people know about a better way to do it. And I mean, I, that's the, that's the thing I look for now when I go to join a facility is I'm going to, am I going to have coaches and staff that are always pushing the edge of what did I do before? Okay, it's not that it was bad. It wasn't injurious. I wasn't trying to get you hurt, but I found a better way to do it. And now I'm going to educate you on it. Yeah. And, and so that's one of my biggest critiques of, of watching coaches because at this point in my life, I've, I don't know, I've been coaching for longer than I've, for, I, don't know, I guess, over half my life of, of things, we, whether it be cross country track or basketball or, you know, or fitnessy things. Um, when, when coaches act as cheerleaders, and you should just give them, you know, pom poms and like go hard, push. Uh, like versus a coach, somebody that is actually giving you feedback for what it is that they happen to be doing at that time. I, I really have zero patience for that. Like you, you shouldn't even be speaking. Like I'm okay with a good job, or I'm good. Hey, keep going, like that type of thing. But if if that's eighty five percent of the words that come out of your mouth are just like you know, go team, go Rhonda, you can do it. Like that just bothers the bejesus out of me. And here's a quote for everyone listening, whether you're in the fitness industry or not. If your coaching sounds very similar to your mom in the stands at your sporting (laughs) event, then you're not coaching, you're cheerleading. (laughs) Think about what your mom would be saying to you as she watched you at the basketball game or on the track field or whatever it may be. If that's what you're saying constantly in a class, all like pretty much the majority of the class, that's not coaching. Now there is a time to cheerlead and a cheerlead is, you know, again, to go down this rabbit hole, cheerleading is meant to do when you see someone who's ready to quit. And in every good workout, that's difficult. Or if you're having a bad day or just a little beat up, you might hit that point. And that's the time to be mom in the stands. Cause I don't know about you. I ran track and I, and I, I was 400 was my gig. Nice. And I would, I, I, but I always was hot out the gate. First 200 meters. <laughs> I'm the man. The back 200, I'm coming around that corner. I'm hitting the straightaway and I'm like, I'm starting to die out. But I would hear my mom yell. And any athlete listening to this, anyone who played sports, you hear your mom or dad yelling for you. I mean, there's something. It's just like, you know, that fourth gear just kicks in and you just take off. That's great to have in a group setting or any kind of training scenario at times. But good coaching comes in the form of verbal, visual, and tactile cues that change movement. Go fast. Keep going. Let's go doesn't change movement. It might keep you moving, but good coaching actually changes the movement. Stu, I love it. That's fantastic. I, 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 I kind of want to wrap up on that because I, I, think, I think that's perfect. No, I'm going to tell a story first, then we can wrap up. No, so in my co- coaching track and field and cross-country days, like those were the coaches that, that bothered me. They'd run around with clipboards, and it's like they were a hard combination of statistician slash secretary slash cheerleader. And I'm like, I don't even know what you're doing. Like, you're not, you're not telling your kid anything about the race. You're not, you're not telling them where they are in whatever pack. You're not, you're not telling them how to fix their form as they're doing it. Like, you're giving them nothing. And literally, it's just like you, you could give it to, you know, Stu's mom. And, you know, she could record times and go from there. And that, I, I think that's a huge thing. Like, people need coaching, and that coaching need not be, I don't know, I'm 42. I don't need people cheering for me at this point i don't know i i like support but like i'm not gonna lie i take classes and deuce who's one of my uh, my assistant gm my head coach and he'll come around and he'll give me the coaching 
And then he'll also give me the cheerleading. And I'll be honest. I probably need his cheerleading more than I need his coaching at times. Like I, I understand the lockout position, all that, but there are times where even me, I'm like, I got a kid. I'm tired. I got businesses. I'm it's early, whatever. And so for anyone listening, I think it's, there's nothing wrong with wanting a little bit of the cheerleading too, but you should be very proud and um, very grateful if you're at a facility like Oak in which you're actually getting the coaching as well. Yeah. Yeah. So does he, does, Deuce come around and tell you, Stu, that tempo was a little fast there, bud. Is yeah, that- he lost my balls all the time. And I know I'm hitting the right tempo. He'll come to guys like, easy there, speedy, easy. I'm like, what, bro? I just, you know, it's it's good. But if I get out of line, he dials me back in. There we go. That's fantastic. Well, Stu, I really appreciate your time. Um, I know you are you have a thousand different things going on, many plates spinning in your world. Um, but no, thanks for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Absolutely, brother. I, uh, I'm very, I love the fact that podcast, I love the stuff you've been doing with Oak. I've been keeping an eye on it. You're yeah. doing amazing. Um, keep it up. And, and again, anytime you want to have me on here to talk shop on fitness, I'm always down. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Thank you so much, Stu. Listeners, thanks so much. And we'll catch you on the next one. That's all we have for you today. If you have questions, want to chat, or are interested in seeing what we're up to between episodes, head over to Instagram and follow at lauren.rxtn and at oakstrength. Together, We are two companies committed to elevating your health and fitness. If you like this episode, please share it with someone who wants to live happy, healthy, and strong. If you really liked it, subscribe and review our Happy Healthy Strong podcast on iTunes. Be sure to tune back in next week and remember to keep owning your health.